Welcome to the Fitness Canner Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Feigl. I'll be bringing you the truth about exercise by interviewing fitness professionals, exercise science professors and researchers, as well as fitness industry entrepreneurs and leaders. Hopefully you take this info and apply it to have a better, healthier, and happier lifestyle. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Fitness Canner Podcast. I am joined today by Chasen Cameron. He is the performance director at Pro Sport in Newport Mesa, California. And we were linked up through uh, PJ Nessler, who is the regional sports performance director over at Pro Sport and uh, had a lot in common with PJ and then got right into to talking to Chase and had just as much in common with him. So I think he's going to be able to share some awesome knowledge in particular with um, with programming and how he deals with uh, his athletes and improves their sport. So uh, Chase, thanks for taking the time, man. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me, Eric. So tell us a little bit uh, more about your background because you have um, broad sports, but when it comes down to training, it's very specific. So give us some background on what you did and how you uh, came to be where you are now. Well, in terms of my personal background of playing sports, you know, I was a multi-sport athlete growing up. And then, you know, my passion was always in basketball. That was what I was most well known for. And then, you know, I played baseball, I played volleyball, even did some high jump in high school. And then when I got into a junior college atmosphere, you know, I went that basketball route because that, you know, that was my passion. That's what I love to do. And then when I transferred over to Cal State Fullerton, I actually shifted gears and started playing lacrosse which was, you know, it was unique because, you know, at 32 years old growing up, we didn't really have lacrosse out here. And so that was a new sport for me to pick up at the age of, I think I was 23 at the time. So I spent two years playing lacrosse and then dove into the coaching circuit of lacrosse. And, you know, from there, it just kind of branched out to actually ended up working with a lot of lacrosse players, including people from the major league lacrosse circuit. So that's kind of my background personally on what I grew up doing. And then in terms of, of coaching athletes, I've coached a wide range of athletes. You know, starting the youth populations, a lot of soccer athletes, um, basketball athletes. But then as it continued to grow, I got again into a lot of major league cross athletes and baseball athletes, including also including, uh, you know, volleyball athletes. So that's kind of where my background comes from in terms of a coaching aspect mm-hmm. and really where it's directing to now, believe it or not, is, is water polo athletes of all things. You know, okay. some, a sport that I had no background in, but through a couple experiences, it kind of blossomed and, and really this is kind of where I'm at now, along with, you know, pursuing again the basketball. So a lot of those things kind of transfer over, right? And there's a lot of, a lot of power, speed, um, uh, high intense cutting and things like that. So there's not, there's a lot of crossover and layover between those kind of sports. Um, before we got on the podcast, we were talking about, about what you're doing specifically with those athletes. So let's say you have somebody coming in who's not a pro, uh, right off the bat, and they want to develop speed and power. How do you go about that? And you can p- pick your sport, any of the ones that you're familiar with. Sure. I mean, let's take basketball, for example. And, and the reality is, is most of my guys that I work with are not professionals. You know, that's that's the select few. Okay. But most of my guys are in the high school realm and the collegiate realm. And so when I get a guy come in, usually they're pretty inexperienced in terms of training history. So what we'll do is we'll do, you know, a full kind of testing battery on them. And specifically, I'm looking from a basketball standpoint, and I want to look at their power output. You know, we'll put them on the jump mat. So we'll test their jump mat. We'll get their vertical, which is, of course, what every basketball or jumping athlete likes to do is they want to know their vertical. Yeah. 
So what they come to me is they want to you know, increase their vertical, increase their power. So we'll get them on the jump mat and we'll go ahead and assess, you know, where they're deficient at and where they're strong at. So the jump mat is a great tool to let me kind of visualize where their strengths at and where their weakness is at within that jump. So then from that point, you have that detailed uh, outline with those numbers. Where do you go from there? You know, from there in, I take those numbers and I assess their weaknesses and I kind of look if they're more of a contractile athlete or they're more of an elastic athlete. Are they great at producing force, like mm-hmm. a great 1RM squatter? You know, they're really, really strong. Or are they really kind of spring? They have that good boost and spring, but they're deficient in the overall strength. So from those two things, I can kind of assess the best direction for them and where we need to attack to help improve their overall performance. And I utilize myself as an example all the time. Is I grew up playing volleyball, I grew up playing basketball, you know, not a lot of time spent in the weight room. So I was very elastic. I was great at utilizing the stretch shortening cycle, getting down up at a fast rate, so I was very elastic in that sense, but my deficiency was in strength. And so when I got serious about strength programming, you know, I got my deadlift up, I got my squat up, my general strength, my potential for my vertical jump increased. And right. that's when I started, you know, getting above the rim and not just touching the rim because that was my personal deficiency. But I've got a lot of other athletes that are complete other end of the spectrum. You know, they're very, very good and very, very strong. So they're good at producing force, but they have no idea how to decelerate and how to control that force. So then that's the area I know I need to attack in that athlete. I need to teach them how to harness that power. And what we tell them is uncontrollable power is unusable power. Mm-hmm. So I need to teach them how to drop and control their forces so that they can ultimately redirect that in a positive direction. How do you create buy-in to that kind of program? Do you have... Um... Because, I mean, obviously, when athletes come to you, they're going to be uh, all in anyway, right? But when, when, you, when you walk up to somebody and you have all these numbers and the data in front of you, and then you say you're going to focus on their weaknesses, what's that, what's that like mentally for that athlete? Well, I think it's a positive one in my experience initially. When I show them, hey, here's where you're good at, and then here's where we need to work on. Because every athlete, for the most part, knows that they have some deficiencies that they need to work on. We're, we're not perfect. You know, none of us are, from coaching to athletes. And so initially, it's positive. But when we create that buy-in, you know, it's not a one-time thing. It's an overall thing of consistency, consistently showing up for these guys and showing them the path. But at the beginning, when I present these numbers, I'll also present, hey, here's how we're going to get here. So I lay out the plan and the foundation. So I show them their training timeline and say, here's where we're at right now. Here's where we want to go. And then I say, here's how we're going to get there. And whatever that is, then we detail, you know, together and, and come up with a path. And, and from there we go. That's awesome. Because you, you kind of, we talked about this a little bit too, but, you know, if you, if you just, a lot of coaches can lay out a program and then just say, all right, let's get after it, right? But if you, right. don't, if you right. don't have some context of where that athlete's coming from and where they've been, and, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, if a, if a coach who's been a volleyball player, for instance, trains someone mm-hmm. who is a, uh, a football player, I mean, they have, like, relationship in terms of they're both in a competitive sport, but, uh, you know, that coach can definitely develop power speed or whatever position player that, that person sure. is. They can definitely help them, right? But unless you really know where that person's coming from on an emotional level and you're caring about what they do on the outside of the gym, I mean, you're, you're buying into – you're trying to build that buy-in in terms of you want to show them how much you care so you get the maximum output, right? How do you create well, that How do you create that emotional connection there? Well, I think that all depends, too, in what type of coach you want to be and what your philosophies are. Mm-hmm. For me, I want to impact these guys on a greater level than just programming. You know, there's a lot of coaches that can write phenomenal programs at a much better rate than I'm sure I could. But I try to attack it from an emotional standpoint and a commitment standpoint and a connection standpoint. 
because I want to impact these guys on a whole greater level. And for me as a coach, I know if I want to get them the best results that they are looking for me to get, I have to do that. You know, anybody can write a program, you know, but are you a coach or are you a programmer? And for me, I want to be a coach. And that's the other things that go into it. You know, if you can have the best program in the world again, like I said, but if the athletes aren't going to commit to it, they aren't going to buy into it and they aren't ultimately going to perform it, then it's going to do them no good. So I got to tap into that emotional connection, create that bond. And for us and our experiences and the way I operate as a coach, that helps me elicit greater adaptation and performance ultimately. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I think kind of hit on a key point there. I mean, a lot of a lot of coaches can, if you as long as you've been in the the game long enough, you can lay out a pretty decent. Mm-hmm. Most coaches can do pretty decent programming, right? But it takes uh, absolutely. And I've even heard of some places that just do. All right, look, if you know you are a a great coach, we're gonna have you working with. Um, working one-on-one with the athletes, you have somebody in the background that develops the the programs and shuffles shuffles those programs to those coaches who then deliver, right? So you focus on your strengths. Mm-hmm. How do you get those athletes to continually focus on their strengths once you kind of like built up their their back-end weaknesses, like you, you said? So how do we get these guys to continue to focus on improving their strengths? Yeah, uh, like a, yeah their main strengths. That's an easy one because that's where they're comfortable. You know, everybody's comfortable in their strengths. So that's yeah. not a, that's not a difficult sell from that standpoint. Um, you know, a guy that loves to lift strength and is really good at it, you know, that's an easy buy-in on that end of the spectrum. It's, it's really more difficult to have them work on the things that they're uncomfortable doing. But, that, hey, that's part of sports, and that's how I connect with them too, is, hey, we got to get you doing things that you're uncomfortable with because sometimes that's going to be the scenario on the sports field. So let's be comfortable in an uncomfortable situation. And then when it comes back to unleashing them back on their strengths, they're all in. We just spent time working on their weaknesses. We caught that up a little bit. Let's go ahead and maximize your strengths now. This is the fun part of the training here. Yeah. So now we get to do things that you love and you're very good at. So that, from that standpoint, you know, it's, a, it's a pretty easy sell to get them to want to do what they already are good at and they like to do. Do you find that's a little, little more prevalent in younger athletes? Or like as they mature, do you think they're – because if you get a younger athlete, I mean, that's almost a dream because they're more pliable. They can – Maybe they pretty much do what you want them to do, right? But when you get into like the college age athletes have been training for, let's say, like they're a senior, so they've been really training hard mm-hmm. for like eight years or so, it's probably, do you get much resistance on that end? You know, I don't get much resistance from the athletes in the population that I've worked with. You know, the biggest resistance I get is not from a communication standpoint of mm-hmm. wanting to do it, but it's from an effort standpoint. And, you know, the majority of the athletes come in, especially the higher end, they know they have a job to do. They're here for a particular reason, and they want to get that next contract or whatever it is they want to do, yeah. and they want to achieve success. So for them, coming in and giving me that effort is, is pretty good and it's on point. However, it's the consistency that I'm after. And okay. that's why we resort back to getting to know my athlete and what makes them tick and how they operate. Because on those days where they're not bringing it, and I know that something's going on, I can tap into that emotional connection and say, hey, what's going on? And they trust me at that point to share with me whatever it is that's going on that's detouring from their performance at that point in time. Well, if you're, I mean, if you're used to like owning up to to being imperfect, and you can stress stress mm-hmm. stress to that athlete that you know it's okay, it's okay to have these weaknesses. You know, that's what you're going to develop. You're going to you're on the on the not every single person who steps on the field, unless you're like you know a Tom Brady or somebody, you're going to be <laughs> perfect in like every single aspect of your sport. So. Getting it through to that athlete that, you know, intellectually trying to get them to conceptualize that they are, you're imperfect in certain areas, but the more you practice those things, the more available, the more tools you're going to have, right? The more tools that you're going to be able to to use during their sport. Um, 
And I think that, you know, if you're, I mean, like with a background like yourself, you know, before you started coaching, you've, you've probably mm-hmm. noticed that you're, you're, I mean, you're probably missing some things in your sports career that you wish you could go back on and focus and say, Hey, listen up dummy. Like you get good, get good at these, at these things that you're not very good at now. And it's only going to increase that. Um, you know, being well, I hate to put my sports career on that on that open front because there's a lot of deficiencies <laughs> in my sports career that we don't need to get into today. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, that having the transparency though to open up to that to athletes and saying, "I've been there, I've done that, I'm not perfect, neither are you," and here's how we're going to attack that. Yeah, I mean, that's all part of if you could build that into a program, then and and have a person focus on that just as much as they focus on on their strength inside the weight room, um, and knowing that. On the outside, that's going to take just as much effort, owning up to being imperfect in your sport or imperfect just across the board. Um, I mean, that's going to help an athlete tenfold, right? I mean, and then being on the same level, like knowing when an athlete comes in to see you, knowing that you've you've opened up and said, "Hey, I'm not 100% perfect. It never was. I'm still trying to build as an athlete, as a coach, as a person." That that goes in deeper than anything else. I mean, absolutely. We make mistakes all the time from a coaching standpoint, from an athletic standpoint. You know, as a manager of my coaches, I make mistakes all the time and it's going to happen. You know, I'm re- I just started a new book uh, this morning, actually, called um, Extreme Ownership. And it was a book that's kind of floating around. I see it all the time on social media right now. People are getting into it. And it's a book that was re- referred to me by a colleague of mine. And in the preface and the intro chapters, that's exactly what they spend time talking about, is that we are all imperfect and that we have deficiencies. And, you know, no matter what we do, even Tom Brady, you go back to Tom Brady, he's the maybe greatest quarterback of all time right now, but he's the first one to say that he has areas that he needs to work on. And that's what makes him so great is he goes back in the off season and he attacks those deficiencies. He attacks right. those weaknesses and he works to improve them. So now they become strength. And when we talk about, you know, opening up to our athletes, this is a strength of mine. And I'm very transparent with my guys as much as I can be and appropriately to the level of that athlete and what it is we're trying to accomplish. But I'm very transparent with those guys and sharing my experiences, my failures, not just my successes. And, you know, the one that I always go back to is actually from an educational standpoint. And I'm actually very proud of this is, and we discussed, I think last week that, you know, in a high school setting, I was not a studious individual. I did enough to stay eligible for sports, which was always very borderline. And that came back to bite me in the butt. And I did not graduate on time. And because of that, it was a reality check. And I went to a JC, ended up transferring over to a four-year university at Cal State Fullerton, and ultimately went back and got my master's degree in kinesiology. And I'm a very late bloomer in that educational sense, so I take this and I resort that and I refer it back to my athletes so they can understand, you know, wherever it is we're at, it doesn't have to be a weakness for the rest of your life. We can continue to work on these things, and we can get better at these things. Mm-hmm. And really, at the end of the day, I'm trying to connect and create a bond between the two of us or the team and myself so that we can ultimately get the results that they're looking for. Yeah. I mean, and you said it, you know, you're, if you don't have failure, no matter what part, take any part of a person's life. If you don't fail, if you're constantly full with just success all the time, you don't know what it's like to fail. That's where the growth comes in. That's where the growth growth comes in as a person, as an athlete, as a X, Y, Z. I mean, all the way up from a, a CEO of a fortune, you know, 50 company, all the way down to someone yeah. who is just starting out as, um, as a coach, like in our field, if you, you can't be successful unless you go through trial and error, you know, cause obviously everything changes all the time and successful people, you look back, I mean, God, Steve jobs, how many times did that dude fail? 
you know? I mean, exactly. It's, and I look, mean, it, look where he ended up. Right. Well, you know, you know, he's dead, but I'm joking. Maybe that was bad. Um, no, but it, it's, it's just, yeah, exactly. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here on a Mac computer. I've got my iPhone next to me. And I mean, that's, that's what's making this kind of thing happen. Anyway, the whole aspect of, of, uh, of being perfect at everything. I mean, I can think of a thousand times where, um, you know, during one of my clients workouts, they may, they may come in not feeling a hundred percent hot, you know, they go through the workout. Maybe they don't sure. hit like numbers that they're, or reps that they're used to hitting. And it's just like, you could see the defeat in their eye and you got to kind of rein it back in and say, it's not going to be perfect every single time you come in. You know, there's going to be struggles every single time you walk in the gym, every single time you, you play on, on the sport. I mean, the good thing is that like in a gym, the numbers, I mean, numbers don't lie and they're not going to mm-hmm. change. The only thing, the only big thing that's going to change is that person. So if they can adapt and overcome and, what they failed at, then that's a win. I agree a hundred percent. And you know, how do we get those numbers? It's a consistent effort and resiliency coming back time after time, even after you failed. Yeah. That's the only reason I'm sitting here having this conversation with you today, because I've been resilient and I haven't accepted failure as an option. And this is the message that is preached to our athletes in here every single day. We're going to make physical mistakes, guys, you know, from an athletic standpoint now, you know, we're going to make physical mistakes. You're going to mess up a drill. You're going to create an error. You're going to have a turnover, but I don't care about that. What do I care about? And they can answer this question for me all the time. I care about what you do to respond to that physical mistake. I care about the mental reaction because we can always control how it is that we respond. The physical, we can't always control. It's going to happen. We'll work to correct those things, but get up and get back. And then we relate it to sports analogies for those guys is, you know, let's say they're a basketball player. If you make a turnover and the guy's going the other way down the court, what are you going to do? You're going to sit there. We're going to pout or we're going to get back. We can go try to take a charge or deflect the ball. And so when we put it in that sense, they feel comfortable with me and they know it's okay that, Hey, we can make a physical mistake because coach has got my back. Coach has got my back, but he just wants to see how we're going to respond to this. And the more we can stack those things together, you know, ultimately we're going to get that much closer to our goal. Yeah. You know what that reminds me of? Um, a few years ago when uh, people were coming out saying they were trying to poke holes in LeBron James's basketball game. And uh, mm-hmm. one of the things that they, they said that he wasn't very good at was three-pointers, you know, like taking like long shots. And I'm not kidding. Right. I felt like, and this is, I don't know how many years ago, five or something years ago, the next season he came out and that's almost all he did was just drop threes nonstop. <laughs> and he just, I mean, he's telling people to shut up, you know? So he took that like emotional yeah. and he took, he turned that into the physical. And I mean, obviously now we are dealing with one of the greatest uh, of all time we could just see. And his game is, and you talk to that guy too, though. He's going to say his game's not a hundred percent complete, even though, you know, us looking in, we're like, holy crap, this guy can do everything. But exactly. Yeah. I mean, even people like him too, exact same thing. You know, you don't think his teammates struggled with, uh, with playing with him and with not putting up the same amount of numbers and the coaches that are dealing with, with those kind of guys. I mean, they all have, they all have a starting point. So. Absolutely. And you know what, those guys have some extreme physical gifts that, you know, myself and you, we're never going to have. So we can kind of be open about that. Speak for yourself, Chase. Speak for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll speak for myself on that one. I'm never going to be six, eight, jumping 42 (laughs) inches in the air and have 260 pounds on my frame. But you know, what is, that we can have, that we can be consistent with those guys, the Tom Brady's and LeBron James. Maybe it's not the physical on that level, but it can be the mental. I mean, yeah. it can be the effort. The effort. It can be the persistence. Mm-hmm. It can be all those things. There's something to be said for the guy that never quits. And I yeah. know we hear this all the time, but it speaks the truth. If you got a guy that shows up day in, day out, it's really, really hard to beat that guy yeah. over the long haul. True. Yeah, how many athletes do you see 
come through, not even, let's just take it from like your player perspective. Cause obviously, I mean, I play with a ton of guys who mm. were way better than me and they, the, the amount of effort they put in was so minimal and you're like, man, if you just take the time to show up at practice on time, take the time to hustle, take the time to work just like a, a fraction of a percent harder than what they did now, they could just explode. How many times do you see that? And you're just like, you're so disheartened. You're like, holy, just put in a little bit of well, effort. Well, all the time. And it's not just yeah. the athletic standpoint, but it's for the professional standpoint. Um, and, you know, I got guys that are, were way more talented to me than graduate school. You know, I look at these guys and I'm sitting in graduate school class and I look at these guys and I'm like, wow, you guys are just, you seem to have it. You guys are incredibly gifted and smart. How come I don't get this thing? Yeah. You know, but they fizzled out, they faded out and some did very well. Some are not in the industry anymore, but you just got to have the effort. You got to put yourself out there day after day. If you put yourself out there, something good's going to happen. Yeah, I think so too. The whole, and this kind of circles back to what we were talking before, the whole making mistakes thing. We are so, as a, as a culture, we're so afraid to make mistakes and that's like the number one thing that we shouldn't be afraid of. Like, what is the worst thing that can actually happen? Okay, it put yourself in any, in any. you know, I, I remember when I first got into grad school, I wasn't 100% sure um, if I even wanted to do it. Like, day one, uh, I remember calling my mom and I was like, I'm not sure if I, like, exactly fit in. I'm not sure if I'm going to, you know, do this whole thing, if I have the, the, the gumption of what it takes. And she was just yeah. like, you know, you've always, you can always come home. Like, you can always start fresh. And that goes with everything. You don't, I mean, it's just, if you define what the very worst thing that can possibly happen is, it's really not that bad. Well, and it's nice because we have support systems. You know, we have support systems for a reason. For, you know, when things like that don't happen, we can resort back to these guys, whether it's a mentor, whether it's a family member and friends, to have that support to, you know, get us back up. Because we're always going to have sometimes those thoughts that creep into my head. You know, our yeah. heads, it's, it's going to be inevitable at some point where doubt creeps in. Oh, yeah. But I'm going to drop an Amelia Earhart quote on you because it's really something that has taken effect over what it is that I do and puts things in what I do in perspective is the most effective way to do it is to do it. Sometimes yeah. we just got to step out there and go, go ahead and take a risk. And, you know, there was oftentimes in my career from a management standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, I felt overwhelmed I, that I don't belong here. I don't deserve to be doing this right now because I don't feel I know enough. I don't feel I'm good enough. But I just kept putting myself in that position and then really kind of took flight to that quote is just go do it. Something good is going to happen. And if you go do it, you mess up. Well, reevaluate, take a look at what happened and then go do it again. Right. Yeah. There's always, there's always another drawing board. I love that. Um, I'm trying to look up this quote now that kind of made me think of something Mm -hmm. I posted a long time ago. Uh, It was called, it's called, so this is a Gary, I don't know if you're familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk, but uh, I follow him a lot and he, uh, Mm said this quote stop thinking stop pondering stop strategizing stop debating go do just do it exactly you know and i kind of relate that to like my path down to what i'm doing now um you know especially like even with this podcast like for the longest time i kind of i kind of got disheartened about it because i didn't have like the most fancy setup um quality wasn't great in terms of like the audio quality and things like that and, and eventually, it, I finally got in my head. I was like, stop it. Like, there's so many people out there, like yourself, like PJ, like whoever I had on this podcast that just need to get the information out there. You know, it doesn't have to be like 100% every single time. And it's just trial mm-hmm. and error. And it's just like everything else that we do, you, you go back. If you just start doing something, you know, like the, like the athletes that, that think, I'm, you know, I'm never going to be, 
I'm not going to go into play pro after this, so what's the point? Because you can be the best you can be right now. You know, if you keep, if you think that far down the road, sometimes it's a hindrance. I mean, obviously having like future vision is a necessity sometimes, but sometimes it can just get in your head and screw you up. Well, you got to have that vision, just like you said, you know, you got to have your long-term goals, but then break it down. You know, what it is that you want to accomplish, how are you going to get there? But, you know, far too often we can psych ourselves out in a sense. And I've been the victim of that. I mean, everybody has at some point in their career, any successful individual has fallen victim to that at some point. But the resiliency to come back and just continue to put yourself out there and do it and just get out there and do it. And you'd be surprised with how much you actually know when you start doing this stuff and teaching this to other people and paying it forward a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Do you have like groups of people that you see who are who will follow behind that athlete and just, you know, try to give it their all and and live off of those fumes? And then do you see on the other side people who just kind of say like, well, you know, I'm not going to be anywhere close to that. So why even try that hard? Yeah, absolutely. You run into that kind of scenario. And I think our coaching staff and and what we do a good job is we attack that kind of ahead of time. Is And that's what we alluded to earlier is getting to know our athletes and how they tick and how they operate and creating that bond and, and open communication. Because if we can identify that scenario early, then we can get ahead of that scenario and make them feel like, hey, okay, well, this guy is very good at this, but let's take a look at what you do yeah. and let's help catch you up on some of this stuff. Let's make it about your best effort, not about his best effort. We can't always compare ourselves to other people. And this can go into coaching. This can go into whatever from an athletic sense is you got to compare yourself to yourself. Sometimes, you know, you Mm -hmm. just got to do that. You can't always compare yourself to everybody else because it's going to drive you crazy. It's going to drive you nuts. I did that for far too long in the coaching realm. And when I said, screw it, I'm just going to worry about myself and I'll worry about how good I can be. That's when I started to blossom and become a confident coach. You know, controlling what I can control and letting go of everything else. And that's the message we got to tell these kids. And what we tell these guys is control what you can control, do your best, and then let's go ahead and see how far we can go with this thing. Well, I know it's a little cliche to say do your best, but it holds truth, and it all depends on how you communicate it with your guys. Definitely. No, 100%. Uh, That kind of brings me to my – something that you were pretty passionate about the last time we spoke was large group training. Mm -hmm. So how do you you attack that, those kind of – those kind of mental roadblocks in large group uh, training. Well, I'll tell you what, large group training is, is one of the most fun parts of coaching that I can have. You know, the, the one-on-one stuff is really, really cool, but large group training, there's just a different buzz to it. And when you have things working and it's clicking on all cylinders, it's a really fun thing to be a part of. So, you know, from, from that standpoint, it goes back to the same principles, just expanded on a larger scale is I've got to go ahead and set the expectations with my guys up front what it is that I expect out of those guys, but also what they should expect out of me. And I think that's, that's often left out from a coaching standpoint is we expect them to do stuff. We expect them to do stuff, but we got to expect stuff out of ourselves and they got to know that. So we got to hold ourselves accountable for that. And when they hear that, then they're going to believe in me just a little bit more. And so from that macro scale, I can outline the expectations as a team. And then I hold individual sessions. I hold individual meetings to really get to know the individual. And so that's how the same principles carry over is getting to know your guys, getting to know your guys, getting a background. It doesn't even have to be about, Hey, what are your performance goals? What are your training goals? Hey, how's school? What are you doing? What are your goals? You know, from, from just the day to day, what are you doing this weekend? Just getting to know more about those guys. And when they can trust you, when they can really trust you, that's going to open up a lot more for performance side of things where you want to push them to another level occasionally, then they're going to have the trust in you and they're going to give you that effort to do so. Yeah, because I, I would imagine that the large group training sessions, when you're dealing with those kind of those kind of really driven athletes, that 
because they know they're working hard together in the weight room and they see the effort that everybody else is putting in around them and they see the intensity of the coaches, that's got to transfer right. directly to the field, right? Well, absolutely. But I'm going to throw a little, a little twist on it. So that's something that has been, you know, a little bit easier for me to kind of accomplish coming in and them giving an effort level. And I'm going to use the team that I'm working with um, more recently. So I've got a water polo club that I'm working with and I come in, I'm going on campus to their weight room side at their high school. And I come in and they've already got this fantastic culture built in from their coaching staff. Who's done a fantastic job with these guys. I mean, these guys are top quality water polo players in the nation. And for me, I'm coming into an environment where you've got the football team in there, you've got the baseball team in there. And a lot of coaches who are more sports coaches, you know, nothing to take away, away from them, but they're not strength and conditioning specialists. And so you see all the max lifting, the grunts, the effort, mm, everything yeah. um, that you typically see in an old school kind of setting. And so this is the mentality that I go with these kids. So effort level from that standpoint was, was not an issue. The issue for me and the challenge for me was I got to get them to go the other direction. I got to get them to understand that, hey, we need to correct our movement and we need to correct these systems that are in place right now so we can ultimately be a little bit better in the water pool, the water polo pool and, and get these guys kind of understanding the philosophy that we're instilling in them now. Yeah, that makes total sense. That's a pretty good breakdown. I like that a lot. You want to leave the people out there who, who want to get a hold of you, you want to leave some contact info and how they can get a hold of you directly? Absolutely. So the best way to get a hold of me is either Instagram or email right now. So my Instagram is Chase Cameron Performance. And my email is Chasen at ProSportPT.com. Cool. I'll leave, that, um, I'll leave that in the show notes. So if people want to get a hold of you, they absolutely can. Well, all right, Chase, I appreciate you taking the time, man. Uh, we'll talk to you soon, okay? I appreciate it, Eric. Take care. Thank you. Thank you.